I remember seeing my first musical like it was yesterday. It was the 2008 Melbourne revival of the Rocky Horror Picture Show at the Comedy Theatre. I remember it very clearly. It was a school night. The most fun part of the week to go out as a 12-year-old was a school night, even if it was to see the revival of a sci-fi B-horror musical. I got home from school, threw my backpack down, and jumped in the back of my mum's Tarago. I remember it was a freezing cold night and we parked in a busy parking lot that probably cost more than the tickets. We walked into the theatre, cold and clammy with a noisy hum filtering through the lobby. I remember us buying Maltesers and walking to our seats. There were actors dressed in all kinds of outfits entertaining the audience members by sitting in their laps and strutting down the aisles like a catwalk. The biggest thing I remember is the feeling in the pit of my stomach when the lights went down and the audience roared. This is kind of where my obsession with musicals started. I was in awe of how this show was made, the acting, the songs, the story, everything. I wondered how someone could create something like this. This leads me to introducing my next guest, Vidya McCann. Hey Vidya, how are you going? Hey Jake, I'm great, how are you? I'm great too, thanks for, <laughs> thanks for chatting to me. Thanks so much for having me. Where did your love of musicals begin? Oh, God. I think it's always been there. My mum says that when I was a toddler, like not even a toddler, like not even one years old, um, The Sound of Music was playing on like our TV. And as this little blob, I sat and I watched the entire thing. And she was like, oh, my, what the hell? But my family have been theatre obsessed since I was a little kid. So The Lion King and The Sound of Music was like my two other parents growing up. Kind of from your perspective, what do you think are the must-have um, structures of a, of a good musical? You know, does there have to be a great love song or a great opener or, you know, what does a good musical require? In, in my kind of novice opinion um, working at this, I don't think that there is a hard and fast answer with that. I think what the way a great musical works is when it knows its form and when, it's no, when it knows its collaborators because I think that Les Mis and Sunday in the Park with George and Hamilton and Six, they're all completely conflicting shows in the way that they're written um, but I think that they all work spectacularly. But what each of those shows do well is that it knows what it's trying to do and it does that, does that so, so well. Yeah, so I suppose, I suppose it's, it's more about having that kind of voice or that kind of through line to, to inspire whatever structure you see fit. A hundred percent. And do you know what as well? Sondheim says this. He says, with musicals, there's so much information that an audience has to get. You're like sitting there and you paid your whatever, 100 bucks, and you're getting music, you're getting lyrics, you're getting lighting, you're getting dance, you're getting movement, you're getting scene changes, costume. There's so much information. And so the job of a, of a creator is actually to make it as simple as possible for the message to get across. And I think sometimes what happens with writers, and this is what happened to me, um, and it's a big lesson that I've had to learn so far in my novice career <laughs> as a writer, um, is, you know, there's no merit in overcomplicating things because I want to feel like a wanky art house genius. It's actually really bad writing when you simplify things to get a point across. And then you can do that through complexity, I think, but it needs to, it needs to come across as simple. Um, I think that that is great writing. How, how do you get in the mindset of a, of a character that you're writing for? I, a heap of research, to be honest. I usually spend like maybe a week where I'm researching, 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 talking, reading. And then the song, the songwriting happens in like half an hour, you know, that the songwriting, if I'm fueled enough and I've done that, 
then that happens. And just conversations with your collaborators and just research. It's the same thing as being an actor, honestly. Research, reading. I spoke a lot in, in the previous episode about how my my upbringing, going to a Jewish school and growing up in a, in a Jewish home, gave me this kind of love of Jewish food that led to the bagels, that led to this, you know, like this, I, I suppose, responding to that. I guess, I don't know, do you, do you feel do you feel kind of blocked in by the by people saying oh just write what you know only write what you know no uh, I think I think it's important to write uh yes write what you know and, and do your research mm. but um I'm not going to be I, I being a first gen you know kid of immigrants woman of color Indian woman like from my heritage yeah. that is part of something that's really important to my writing and my voice but not every show that I'm going to write is about that um, I think to answer your question, it actually comes down to collaboration and to really listening. What do other people know and how do you work together to tell a huge diverse range of stories? So I kind of think that is a bit of a cop-out when people say that. It's not about writing what you know, it's about reaching out and actually listening when even you don't want to listen sometimes. Brilliant. Fantastic, video. Thank you so much for, for chatting to me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. So it turns out writing a musical is a lot harder than it looks. But what I lacked in skill and concentration, I really made up for with pure excitement and enthusiasm. This little musical meant the world to me. I cared so much about each character and each moment. And for me, there was one thing that every great musical needs, a love story. At this point in the musical, Shmuley is running the bagel shop while his parents are out of town, when in walks his crush. Hey, Shmuley. Oh, Jessica, I didn't see you come in. Sorry about that. You see, I dropped my, uh, you see, the bagels were, uh... anyway, hi, Jessica. How can I help you today? <laughs> I'm here to pick up the order for my mom. She says your chicken soup is the best. Well, it's the best I've ever tasted. <laughs> here you go. Awesome. Thanks, Shmuley. Oh, my pleasure. And careful, it's hot. I know I can ask her, I've liked her for a while I hope that one day he asks me, or maybe I'll... Do you... You go first. Well, I was wondering if you'd like to, you know, go out with me this weekend? I'd like that. Where do you want to go? So sublime, maybe take her on a roller coaster ride. Then we'll look at the stars and we can dance the night away. Where should I take her that day? I wonder where he'll take me that day. How about a movie, drama, or action? But popcorn gives me an allergic reaction. How about a lunch by the sea? We'll eat scones and sip our cups of tea. When I see her smile, I know that everything's alright. Where can we go that's Wherever right? Wherever we will go, we'll be right. How about a dinner at a fancy hotel? And then some dancing when we say our farewell. How about a pizza delivery? But no bacon, ham, or pepperoni. I'm so happy we're finally dating. Maybe he'll take me figure skating. These ideas are making me feel stuck I don't want to get there and act like a schmuck Maybe we can get into a bar But the smoke in the air won't let me go far Maybe a 
an ice cream shop that's so well known. He'll get a fudge sickle and I'll get a waffle cone. My palms are so sweaty. Where will it be? Where will he take me? Maybe he'll sing me romantic song covers. I know what I'll do. I'll invite her to Shabbos. It's a classic love song. Sure, it moves a bit fast, it's very tacky and ends with an invitation to Shabbat dinner, but it's a love song nonetheless. It raises the stakes and brings the audience into the story. There are many, many theories about how to make a great story. A story that's engaging, that draws you in, that for a couple hours can take you somewhere else. To put it bluntly, a story that makes you not check your watch to see how much time until you can go home and watch TV. That leads me to introducing my next guest, director and dramaturg, Clary Riven. Hey, Clary, how are you? Hello, beautiful man. I'm good, how are you? <laughs> I'm great, I'm great. Thanks for, thanks for chatting to me. Thank you for having me. So basically I've like introduced the love story into the into the show. And I guess I wanted to chat to you and ask kind of from your from your perspective, what are the rules about good storytelling in regard to like love and those things? Right. I mean, I guess it I don't I wouldn't say that there's rules involved. I guess it depends on the style of the piece. I always like my characters to seem real and I always want people to feel connected to those characters. So I think my approach with conflict and love and those kinds of things is to make it feel quite real and to make the audience connect to those characters. Because even if it's comedy, if the audience is connecting to a character, that comedy will land. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say there's rules for myself. I just like to create three-dimensional characters that the audience can connect to. So what? So from like a storytelling perspective, you, you, you're saying like um, the term like three-dimensional. How do you kind of portray a character in a three-dimensional way? Good question. Um, I guess like when it comes to like archetypes, for example, like which I guess we deal with a lot in comedy, instead of just focusing on the archetypal qualities of them and the um, slapstick qualities to them, you also have to like balance that by knowing their backstory and um working on your text as opposed to only playing for the comedy I think um find the truth within the comedy and within that world yeah absolutely so I was just wondering if you could kind of I guess from your perspective um you know what 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 is dramaturgy in in your perspective and how do you utilize it when you're putting together a story yeah so um to me dramaturgy is a tool that um it's, it's there to support the contextual accuracy of a piece. So whether that's historical accuracy, cultural, social, economic, et cetera, um, it's pretty much there to serve a deeper understanding of a piece. And so how, in, what, in what way does that assist in kind of in, in good storytelling? I mean, you know, if you're putting on a show and you have no idea what the history of it is or um, if you don't know about the culture or um socioeconomic backgrounds and things like that how are you supposed to be truthful about storytelling like to me it's a it's a tool that helps you helps you do storytelling in a truthful way yeah now I have a question for you Jake really (laughs) what's um Shmuley's bagel of choice wow 
don't know. I think it's a classic. I think it's a lox. I think it's a cream cheese. Oh, yeah. I think it's like a, you know, a poppy seed. I don't think it's anything. I love that. You know, I don't think he stands out particularly. I love but, that. Well, I think that's the perfect place to end. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much, Clary. Thank you. <laughs> like Clary said, good stories need to be believable and three-dimensional. And that's why every story needs a complication. This leads to our next part of the story. Everything seems to be going pretty well for Shmuley Greenberg. He got to run the bagel shop for the day. He's got a date with his dream girl, but things are about to take a big turn. Shmuley's parents are setting up the bagelry for the day when in walks the evictor. Why, hello there. I hope I didn't come at a bad time. Oh, hello there. Not a problem at all. I was just watching the finale of Seinfeld. You're doing me a favour, actually. How can we help you? I'm here to give you a notice. Wait. We're being evicted? I wouldn't call it that. I'd call it forcible removing of one from a certain area or place. It just makes it a bit less sad. Well, I'll give him a certain area of place in a minute. Sorry to let you know, but it's time for you to go. Take your bagels and your cream cheese far away from here. We're building a shopping mall, a hundred stories tall, with a nail salon and frozen yogurt stall. You'll be out of here next week. And no one's gonna miss ya I'm the evictor I'm the evictor You know what makes me scream and shout He's watching this bagel shop moving out I'm the evictor So here's our conflict. The evictor has given the Greenbergs their notice, and now Shmuley's dream of owning the bagel shop one day is crushed. Every story needs a complication. It makes the happy ending really worth waiting for. I used to imagine the best bagels in town as the next big Broadway hit. I imagined who I would thank in my Tony Award speech, how the set popped with colour. I, I even made a cast of all my favourite actors to fill the roles. I showed my friends, my family, my drama teacher, and then... It was chucked in a drawer and forgotten. My 15-year-old childhood dream of being a famous music theatre composer had failed. Kind of like Shmuley's hopes of running a little bagel shop all on his own. On the next episode of The Best Bagels in Town, I want to find out about chasing childhood dreams and whether reaching those dreams is really all it's cracked up to be. The Best Bagels in Town is supported by the Victorian government through Creative Victoria. It's written and produced by me, Jake Feely in collaboration with my 15-year-old self. 